Welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm your host and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. If you're not familiar with the Inside Scoop, it's a podcast dedicated to helping parents learn about the soccer pathways that would be available to their child if they live in another city around the world. And this show is brought to you by Anytime Soccer Training. Anytime Soccer Training is the only training program with well over 5,000 training videos that cover all the key skill areas. Coaches love it because they can create teams and see that the players are doing it. And players love the fact that the average video is less than five minutes long. Parents love the fact that the it, the average subscription is less than a dinner for two. You can join for free, get a lot of great free content. And now club directors finally have one-stop shop, shop, a one-stop platform to throw all their players on, which we do for you, uh, and give them excellent training homework that they can do at home for less than a cup of coffee per year per player. So check out anytime-soccer.com to learn more about the program. Join for free, get a lot of great free training content and now let's get on to the show so this one is going to be a fun show where um i just share my opinion and uh about a fun fun sort of uh clip that's making its rounds in the social media space and this is just an opinion piece from a soccer dad who got his coaching license on google and has never played the game so take this as uh take my opinion as a grain of salt especially when you weigh it against the person that I'm going to uh, pit my opinion against, right? And, and what am I talking about? Well, there's a quote, uh, a soundbite from Harry Redknapp, the esteemed uh, English football manager uh, and former player, where he's talking on a podcast, I think it's called Project Footballer, uh, about a host of things, right? But the soundbite is specifically about a particular problem he finds with coaching in youth soccer. And disclaimer, even though I've listened to the entire um, show, and I think I actually found it very good and very informative, this particular soundbite, which some people will say, oh, you take it out of context, but this particular soundbite, to me, rings um, and echoes a lot of the sentiment I have that I hear, excuse me, in the youth soccer space. And I thought, you know what? Let me just get on the airways and talk about it from my perspective and then share this on the, into the Facebook group and get others' perspectives. So, so again, if you're not familiar with Harry Redknapp, he's an esteemed former, um, uh, well, he's a football manager and probably a former football manager right now, but he is uh, one of these quintessential, what they call caretaker managers. So, uh, you know, in the UK, they obviously were everywhere except the States for the most part in Australia. Um, they have promotion relegation. And when teams are about to be relegated, they bring in, uh, there's a whole, there's a few of these football managers they hire to help them get enough points to stay afloat. And Harry Redknapp is one of them. And he's he's worked at clubs like Bournemouth, Portsmouth, QPR, Tottenham. And that's kind of what he's known for now, just coming in, uh, you know, 10 games left, 20 games left. You got to get a certain amount of points to stay afloat. He's he's known for that. And he has, uh, uh, he played and then he has a son that played. All right. So, so now that I've said that, what is the quote? And I'm going to paraphrase it, right? And I'll, I'll share the original soundbite in the show notes as well as the full article, full interview. I'm going to paraphrase it today, though. 
The problem is 80% of the young coaches who work at football clubs have never played football or don't play football. They're 25, 24, a lot of them, and they've never been in the position, never seen X, Y, and Z pass or, or the ups and downs of a young footballer. They are academics and academics are running the game uh, at the moment in youth soccer or at the youth level. They learn the game um, on computers and studying. And it's difficult to coach young folks if you never played at any level. So I wanna unpack some of this statement. And again, I'm just paraphrasing. So if I miss something, I apologize. I'm gonna put the original soundbite in the show notes, but I'm going to, I want to unpack this because I do think a lot of this is indicative to many of the conversations we have in the youth soccer space at some level. So the first thing he says is the problem is 80% of the youth uh, of young coaches who work at the football clubs have never played football or don't play football. They're, they're 25, 20, 24, 25. So the first logical flaw, and the way I want to construct this interview is I want to, I mean, nothing that's this interview, this podcast, I want to, I want to unpack the, some of the logical flaws in his statements and then talk about things from a macro perspective and why it may or may not be relevant to youth soccer around the world. So the first logical flaw that he makes is it's a false premise. He, he bases everything on a false premise, right? I'm assuming He's talking about the UK and having lived in the UK for over a decade, and this is anecdotal, so take it for what it's worth. I don't recall meeting a, a person who was into sports and didn't play football borderline religiously. Again, I don't recall meeting someone who was into sports, right, and didn't play football football borderline religiously because it's it's just so it's such a part of the culture that they play all the time so then to suggest that 80 percent of the young people who not only um are in football but want to coach football have never played the game at any level i find that very difficult to believe. And I don't know what he's basing that number on. And in that is the first that and that's a very important point because a lot of these conversations center around misinformation or negligently over exaggerated uh, statements. And what uh, we want to do as discerning folks is really unpack that and have a level-headed, measured conversation. The second thing is he has what I would consider to be an irrational appeal true to tradition. So in his statement, he, he's going on about young people. He says, young, folk, young coaches, 25, 24, never done this, never done that. So it's almost like um, he's saying, you know, in in the old school, we did it this way. And these new school guys are trying to do it this way. And what they're doing is wrong, whole stop. 
And it's to me, it appears to be an irrational uh, appeal to tradition. So there's a place for lessons learned and experience, right? This is a very important. But we, want, we don't want to be irrational about how we uh, approach things in modern times. So you could take parenting, for example. My parents did things a certain way, right? And there's some things I liked, some things I didn't like, some things I do with my kids based on what they did, and some things I don't do with my kids based on what they did. And I don't want to have an irrational um, connection or or a depend or an irrational dependency on the way that I was raised and applying that to my son, because there are going to be things that are different today than it was than it was back then, and that's totally fine. And I think he's pinning what how things were done back in the day to today. So, for example, when he was coming up, there were no academies. I mean, so right there, it's just. There, the in youth soccer development was not a professional. It was not professionalized in the way it is now, so right there, it's just very difficult to use those historical models for uh, of how coaches gain content and became experienced to today's models. The next thing is uh, he uses uh, gross gross and negligent overgeneralizations. And we kind of talked about this with the 80%, but when we talk about overgeneralizations, that means, hey, maybe you saw an issue somewhere, right? But now you're taking that little snippet of information, uh, 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 that little instance of, of uh, issue you saw and generalizing it across all the coaches in the UK. I'm assuming he's talking about the UK. An extension of that would be the world. And it's not, it's not, clear that that is necessarily the case versus just isolated incidents. And then the next thing is he appears to be resistant to change, right? So he mentions, you know, they're learning football on a computer, blah, 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 and about studying. And as if that's a negative thing where, you know, it's pretty well established that knowledge transfer the use of technology to aid knowledge transfer is a good thing. And I find not just him, but in the in, in the area of youth soccer, there seems to be this stigma about learning things on, off the internet where, yeah, the internet has its a lot of issues, but there are a lot of great, there's a lot of great information. I use the internet all the time in my day job. I don't know something about the software we're working on, I go online, I search, and someone has broken down that issue, that technical issue that we're having at a deep in a at a level of detail that I could only imagine even 10 years ago. Yes, we don't want we want to avoid any extreme, right? So you're sitting in a computer, you know, you you're playing FIFA now thinking you can coach, of course, but we should embrace the various mediums that we have today to help us become more knowledgeable about the subject and then layer that on with obviously practical experience. So I would be very hesitant to say, oh, they're learning on a computer or they're learning by studying in a disparaging way, right? Unless I have some kind of evidence to this that suggests that this is a subject that you cannot learn 
um, in any capacity online, which I don't think is necessarily the case. And then he frames this as sort of us versus them. So it's academics versus, I guess, non-academics who are out there on the grass actually doing it, as if you can't be both. There's no duality there. You can't be, uh, you can't train academically uh, in the subject and be a great coach. It's almost like us versus them or youth versus older people. Like, like it's like everybody had to start when they were young. So it's, it's again, it's, it's us versus them tenor that I see a lot in youth soccer that I think ideally we, we would like to avoid. And then finally, uh, he, he provides no specifics. So an example would be like, literally, what are you seeing that this person who has not played the game at any level was not able to do that was critical to the learning outcomes of their players that they would be able to do had they played the game? Like, what is it specifically that you're seeing that they're not able to do? And then what is it, how much playing experience does that person need in order do you believe that person will need at a minimum at least to accomplish these specific learning outcomes that you perceive that you witness them not be able to achieve right and then what are the specifics around that situation so in other words this person is trying to teach this something to show this thing that's very specific i guess he's talking technical maybe tactical and they've been hired into this organization and they've interviewed they've been hired they can't teach this thing and there's no one else around them right that can help them with this very specific thing that they're trying to teach and so i don't know he doesn't provide any detail at least i didn't hear any detail where we can understand very specifically what the problem is and then how to necessarily address it because in general of course you need to have a degree of experience if you're going to participate at a high level but the details really 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 matter right because and i said experience you need to have some experience but i don't know necessarily if you have to have a lot of playing experience but and we'll get into this later you do need to have some what, what we would call content knowledge. So those are those are some of the logical flaws, right? Let me just reel them off really here. False premises, not false premise. I don't know where he's getting his 80% never played the game at any level. And if and definitely right into the show, if you think that's even something that's even remotely possible in England. He has an irrational appeal to tradition. This is how we used to do it. Now we do it this way. Then he overgeneralizes a particular something that could particularly be a problem in certain situations, but there's no evidence that this is a wide scale uh, problem. He appears to be resistant to change, right? So, uh, you know, computers and technology, as opposed to everything is technically to a degree, some kind of technology when you help learning, when you're talking about learning, he would have learned with books and paper and somebody else before him would have said, man, we never use books and paper. We just, went out there and uh, and uh, learned from watching, right? We never had to write anything down. We didn't write any session plans down. That's what they'll say. 
And it doesn't provide any specifics. So what is the specific problem? And what are the specific qualifications that you believe at a minimum are needed in order to um, solve this particular problem that you've addressed? And then also he's pitting us versus them, which I think is a widespread cultural issue that we have in youth soccer. It's them, they're doing this, this is the academics, it's, it's the young people, it's, you know, it's the foreigners, it's the others, it's whatever you pick, pick it, right? It's the parents, it's someone other than us, in this case, older, in this case, older youth soccer coaches with a lot of, and professional coaches with a lot of experience. It's those other people who are ruining game, ruining the game, right? Um, but last time I checked, <laughs> you know, uh, the uh, London, uh, not, England hadn't won any World Cups in, since the 60s. And even that one, not very many countries participated. So it wasn't like we were doing, they were doing things so wonderful before. And, um, and now all of a sudden things is going south. So that's the that's the micro stuff that I think is wrong with this type of um, this type of rhetoric. And before you guys jump on me and say, "Oh, it's just a soundbite," I don't know. I am not in any way, shape, or form saying this type of rhetoric has a disproportionate influence on youth soccer at all. I'm using this uh, again as entertainment and talking points to say, and to facilitate the discussion to say, "Hey." This is indicative of some of the rhetoric that I observe across the spectrum of youth soccer. And I would love for us to have a conversation about it. Okay. So, um, so now let's talk about the macro issue. And I do see this as a real potential problem, especially in the U.S., because soccer is not our number one sport. And even if it were the number one sport today, which is not, it wasn't in the past. And so we have some macro issues around this, this idea of playing experience and coaching. Number one, we know that around seven, 8% of all high school athletes across the spectrum of sports play with what we would call a varsity sport in college, right? And if you wanna argue about that number, you can bump it up to 10%, you can bring it down to 5%. The actual number doesn't matter but it's a small percentage of high school athletes who go on to play to college, go on and pay, play in college. And we use that high school number as a proxy for the larger soccer community, right? And then, and then when you get into division one, which would be considered a high level, higher level, it's less than 2% of high school athletes go on to play division one soccer, right? And then we can extrapolate that to say um, that would include anyone who plays at a pro academy, which they may not go to college, but they play at a pro academy, blah, blah, blah. The bottom line is of the potential folks who play the game, a very small percentage of them go on to play at a, a level higher than high school. So then that means, you know, what, do we consider to be the minimum level of participation a play a player should have in order to qualify for a coach? And if you say it's anything less than uh, college, then we have to start thinking about our own experiences in sports and really ask ourselves, did playing in, you know, playing baseball and basketball or whatever sport you played in football, 
really, but you know, into the high school level, did that really prepare you to be a coach in the way that we, of all the skills that are required to be a coach? And you could believe that does. I, um, who played American sports, don't. By the time I started, would have gotten into coaching, um, having played American sports, there's so much more I would have to, so many more skills that I would have to have developed in addition to just the intuition of just playing that sport that uh, the little bit of experience I had playing this sport up to high school pales in comparison to what I would have to learn. I mean, my dad was a baseball coach. I spent every day, almost every day of my childhood somewhere, either watching baseball, playing baseball, being around baseball coaches. And, you know, maybe I'm the exception to the rule, but there is no way that I would have been able to take that experience and then not coach because you're going to school, doing all this kind of stuff, and then turn around and then go out and manage a youth baseball team without doubling down on the theory, the practice, all this, the design, all this, the technique, all the stuff you need in order to really be a good baseball coach. So, so, so now we have a problem. So if we are saying that you got to at least be college, if that's the thing, if that's your thing or a pro academy, now you're getting into other possible applicants and we're only talking about the ones who played you're getting into the 2%, the 7 to 2% range. And if you say, well, we'll lower the bar to those who just played the equivalent of high school, then I think there's a common sense uh, piece there that says, uh, is that really enough experience to really translate into coaching other than some, you know, you need to understand the game basically, but that's not something that I don't think that will be an intellectual or technical barrier to entry from someone who's really particularly interested in it. And then of those, of that percent, that 2% who want to go on and coach, I'm sorry, of that 2% of applicants who played at a high level who could potentially become coaches, only a small percentage of them are going to want to coach. And of those of small percent that want to coach, an even smaller percentage of those are going to live in any particular area. You take my town, which, you know, take for granted, um, I'm full disclosure, it's tiny, was tiny. We had one professional football player come out of my town in like 50 something years. One, one, not a, one. That's how rare it is to go from to become an NFL football player, right? So that's so so if you have this irrational um belief that someone needs to have played college in order to be a great coach or as a minimum to be a great coach, you're totally shrinking the the pool of highly uh, of of applicants. Now, I know what some people will be thinking from a common sense perspective. They'll say, "Well, Neil, when you look at the academies and you look at any of the top programs of U14 and above, especially, all of those guys, they played at a high level, right? They're coaches. And then you also have international applicants as well. And that is true on the surface because remember, we're still talking about hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people and then millions of people cumulatively over time. 
So yes, you will be able to find folks who have played at a high level and who want to coach. But the problem is on a macro level, we have to think about this issue of what they call capacity. Are we leveraging the, the resources that we have available? Are we optimizing, I should say, the resources that we have available in a particular country in order to get the maximum outcome? That's an economic term basically saying, you know, there are this many people in the country who have X amount of qualifications and an aptitude as an industry, are we tapping into them to get the best and the brightest? And I would argue if you have this artificial, rather artificial barrier that uh, college or playing in an academy is a minimum requirement, then you better be real sure that those that that experience is is extremely relevant to the job. Like you better be real sure because you're now um, dinging, basically, for lack of a better term, or excluding ninety eight percent of the population, right? And so, so that's where I, I land on that. That from a macro level, when we start talking about this play, we got to really think through what does that mean, right? Uh, in terms of the amount of people who could be in the profession that are not. Then we have to think about, and we talk about, I talk about this some in education, what are the fundamental qualities that make a good coach? And we'll talk about that a little bit later. So yes, content knowledge and is important, but is that not something that can be acquired to some degree? And as a practical example, you know, I was joking with my sons and they gave me a hard time because I never played soccer. I was trying to say, I was joking with them in the, uh, today as I was preparing for this podcast. You know, what, what technical thing, because I'm assuming this is part of what people, this is part of what people, the argument people make that you need to be able to demonstrate some um, technical exercise. And I was asking them, what technical exercise that uh, is there, this is this ridiculous, this very important, I should say, that I can't demonstrate in super slow motion. And they gave me a hard time because they were trying to show me this. And of course, I look like a fool doing it. But I'm like, man, it would be great to say, hey, and I know my coaches listening are going to um, jump on this and they're probably screaming through the phone like, oh, no, no, there, there's so many things that you got to know how to do in order to pass a, pass a soccer fall, ball. And if you haven't played at a high level, you can't teach that. And I'm just thinking to myself, yeah, you know, uh, as a parent who works with their own kids and I never played, and then someone who trains kids uh, at a clinic, there are just not very many situations where they, these things exist. They, this, they, there are not very many conditions where this exists. Number one, I cannot demonstrate uh, in super slow motion and with the use of visual communication basically what I'm looking for, right? So that's condition number one. 
I'm doing this thing in super slow motion and I still can't demonstrate it, right? The second condition, so I, I rarely have a situation where all these conditions are in play. The second condition is no one on the team <laughs> can demonstrate uh, with any degree of accuracy um, what I'm trying to explain and demonstrate in super slow motion, right? So the most technical person on the team cannot listen to what I'm saying, see what I'm trying to do, and then I go to them and say, can you demonstrate what it is, I'm, what I'm looking for, and do it to any degree of accuracy? And then the next thing is, and then there is no available resource, no available coach, no available trainer that's part of the entire organization that I can't tap into and say, hey, there's some technical things that I need to get across that I can't get across verbally. I can't get across through demonstration. No one on my team understands, can demonstrate it after having listened to the, uh, the my verbal instructions and seeing me try to show demonstrate this in super slow motion. Um, can you pop out and demonstrate this particular thing for my team? And then finally, which would be sacrilegious to our coaching experts. And then I can't also say, hey, he pull out my phone and say, hey, this is, you see this, what this guy is doing? This is basically what I'm trying to help you guys do. Now, and I'm saying this is, and I'm an extreme because I'm saying I have never played the game. So, I just never met anybody who played sports in, in London and didn't play. So you're saying, so in other words, I don't know if this actually, when we think about it in further inspection, I just don't know if this situation exists to that degree as we would, as people think, because I don't think there are that many people who never played the game at any level who are coaching at academies. And then I don't think there are very many situations where there's people who play to some degree who can't demonstrate straight what they're looking for in super slow motion. And then again, they can't demonstrate in super slow motion. Their players can't listen to them. And then you have one or two that are really technical who can demonstrate it in super slow motion. Or it's some technical thing that's so important, right, that it has to be demonstrated uh, and that you just can't even it's so fundamental to the game, but no one can ever picture it. Like, but so we're now talking about pass. I guess we're talking about some kind of flick of the ball up in the air and, and re no, no, cause we're not talking about passing, dribbling, um, finishing, none of these fundamental things that I think people will have a base level of knowledge and be able to demonstrate super in super slow motion. We're not talking about that. I guess we're talking about these other obscure technical things. And maybe I'm going, maybe I'm not doing a good job of explaining it, but it's just, you know, like, God, I played basketball, football, and baseball, and you don't need to be an expert to, if you study the game, you watch the game, you look at what's going on, you're going to be able to teach a blocking technique if that's what you're actually interested in. Over time, you're not going to be a 300 pound um, 
defensive, the offensive tackle who can do it at game speed, but you're going to be able to show sort of the how where where to put your hands, how to leverage, how to get leverage, how to uh, move your body, because there's just so many resources that are now available to help you with that. And and to that point, my older brother who did coach his sons in uh, American football. Um, one year, parents drove him completely crazy. But uh, he had take he took this online course because just because you play, who sits around knowing the technique that the defense alignment needs, the technique that the offense alignment needs, the technique that within the offense line the guard needs, the technique that the quarterback needs, the technique that the wide receiver needs, the technique that the free safety needs, the 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 the, the, the blocking schemes, the offensive schemes, the defensive schemes. Even though he played all his life and he watches the game all the time, to coach, you still had to take a course and learn all this stuff. And so even if you played in college, you you don't you don't study every aspect of the game all the time, and then get all those finer details, and then remember, oh. This is how you teach those finer details to 11-year-olds, right? So I, I think there's going to be a learning curve no matter what. So maybe I'm being defensive because I never played the game. I'm, you know, guilty. But I just think there's an over-exaggeration um, of the need to demonstrate an exercise in a way that only someone who's played at a high level can because you can do a lot in super slow motion, right? And so then I go on to say, and I'll conclude with this, when we look at the qualities that make a good teacher, which I think are transferable to the qualities that make a great coach, they're actually, the majority of them are like non-football or non-sport specific, like the ability to communicate the ability to motivate, the ability to empathize, and then the attention to detail and duty of care. I think it's the attention to detail that not the necessarily the ability to demonstrate, but the attention to detail is what I have seen um, from an outsider watching soccer coaches that really separates the average one from the good one. It's do you force, for lack of a better time, for back, lack of a better term, folks to do it correctly over and over and over again or do you just let these things slide do you do you it's the details that i think really matter and so i'm gonna end with this and you know uh in the, in the world of education they have sort of pedagogy and then they have sort of content knowledge and you need a degree of both but the the gold standard is the ability to put it together. And so um, pedagogy is sort of knowing how to teach. What instructional strategies do you need to put in place for that particular age group, right? That's pedagogy. You can pull, you've been, you've learned how to teach. You've learned the learning model to deliver con any content that you need to to a group of students. And then you have the, the content knowledge. That is um, literally what to teach. I, I can teach math. 
I can teach AP calculus. There's the content knowledge. And that's important too. The gold standard is knowing how to teach and knowing what to teach and put it together. You'll have a lot of people who will know a subject and you've seen this, we've all been in classes where someone knows a subject and they're an expert in the subject, but they don't know how to deliver it. And then you don't want someone who knows how to deliver it, but doesn't have the content knowledge or, to, or, or understand where they need to tap into resources to get it. So for example, even at the school I worked at, because there was a shortage of teachers, they would get folks who had these, these other behaviors like we talked about, empathy, enthusiasm, the ability to communicate, the ability to motivate, the attention to detail, the high standards, and had so, uh, you know, a proficient degree of content knowledge, but they maybe they, not, they were not experts in the subject. And what they did was um, they would get either experts to come in and who specialized, they did not necessarily know how to teach well or manage a classroom but they would come in for what they called instructional support so you will have an expert come in and help with some of the finer details again instructional support and they also leverage technology so uh so one of the math programs for example the teacher would go over the basic stuff in general and then the kids would set out to do it and if the kid had a very specific question um they could hit a button on the computer and for all practical purposes, it would be like a call center. A person would appear from a call bank and start helping them with walking, walking them through and getting the instructional knowledge, instructions on that very specific uh, area that that child was having an issue with. And in this case, the technology was adaptive. So the child would answer a question. If they got it wrong, they could ask, I mean, sorry, yeah, the child would ask the question, sorry, the child would, take a test basically start answering questions and when they got it wrong they had an opportunity to listen to a record pre-recording um that talked to that walked them through that problem and if they still didn't get it they could hit a button and then a live person would come on and help walk them through that problem and so i'm not suggesting that is what you would do in soccer obviously what i am saying is as leaders we have to be cognizant uh, and solution oriented. And in America, right, we know that it's not our most popular sport. And it wasn't, and if it, even if it is our most popular sport now, it wasn't uh, before. And so is there a way to bridge the gap between um, folks who may lack some of this highest level of playing experience, but have these other experiences that are also very valuable? And then how do we activate those folks and give them the technical knowledge they need to execute the curriculum, um, but, but also leveraging the other things that they bring to the table. And then understanding that we don't wanna put a disproportionate weight and value on something that may not translate to being a good coach. For example, when, the last point on this, so when someone plays the game, for the most part, that's not an apprenticeship to become a coach. It's not something that's talked about. It's not something that the child typically has in their mind all the way up to even the college level. It's normally an afterthought 
after they leave the game. In the at the professional ranks, as the player becomes older, they do start um, taking courses to become coaches. But again, in general, it's you know coaching is not sorry playing is not like an apprenticeship to be a coach. Playing is like trying to play at the highest level. And so, if you believe, if you actually believe that playing experience was that important to becoming a coach, playing at a high level then again, as a leader, I would also be suggesting, hey, we have to get more, we have to, we want to get more young people who are playing at a high level. We want to start adding things to the curriculum to help them learn how to teach and transfer knowledge after the, and become coaches after their career ends. All right, this is just an opinion piece. Um, hope you enjoyed it. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm the host of uh, the Inside Scoop and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. Let's get better together. I played soccer for 30 years. There's there's been nothing like this. Awesome for them. Anything. It's already way more than I was expecting. So, um, yeah, we'll just. I mean, I'm 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 psyched about it. I think this is a a, a great thing. Get started on this right away.